0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Groves, and welcome to the Cranmer Fellows Podcast. This is a podcast that explores pastoral ministry from an Anglican perspective. If you are a pastor, ministry leader, or an aspiring minister, I, along with my co-host Matt Kennedy, pray that this podcast will help equip and encourage you in your ministry to Christ Church. This podcast is an arm of the pastoral training program, the Cranmer Fellowship, at Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Church of the Good Shepherd is a congregation committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ and sharing the good news of His life, death, and resurrection through the study, exposition, proclamation, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. If you would like more information about the Cranmer Fellowship, Church of the Good Shepherd, or if you want to reach out to us about this podcast, please do so by emailing us at cranmerfellowship, at gmail.com now let's get to today's episode welcome back to the podcast uh it's been a couple weeks since matt and i have uh, been here to talk in person uh been a busy a busy uh, couple weeks and i think matt you're like getting over a sickness for like the (laughs) Like the 10th <laughs> time now on the podcast or something. Yeah. I mean, it's like
1: been a month of uh, I got really sick and then I started getting better and then I got really sick again. So I'm I'm finally now like I can, I think I can talk and not.
0: Yeah. Well, into... Don't speak too Go. soon.
1: <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> you doing all right though uh, this week?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Doing all right. Good. How are you?
0: Good. Yeah. Doing okay. I um, mean, ignoring all the crying babies downstairs for this podcast so (laughs) no we're doing well though um well so we um we did two so two episodes ago or three episodes ago however you say it um and uh we talked about communion and we we never finished that conversation so i figured we'd uh, start that up again and go ahead and finish it this one will probably be a little shorter than than usual because i think we hit on like the really big stuff with communion um right that last that last episode so if you haven't listened to that episode and you're listening now um that one might be a good one to listen to first just because we uh matt does a really good job of um just explaining the different views of communion and we're just going to pick up there um and uh and and go from there so we ended that last episode on what the the elements of, of communion were. So you have bread, wine, um, you know, we bless the bread and the wine. Uh, that's what sets it apart. We talked about how the elements matter. And my my first question is in regard to uh why in regard to what we said about the elements mattering, because um we also there are times whenever, um, you know, you have people who, you know, don't want to uh, take the wine, um might, you know, decide, hey, I'm not going to do this because of, you know, personal reasons and and all that. and and what we say and in our tradition is that, you know, by just taking the bread, um that is that is sufficient. and my my question is how, how do we uh what is the stance I guess on that in the Anglican Church on um if the if the elements matter each element matters the bread and the wine why do we say uh, it is sufficient then to like it is still sufficient to take just the bread and and not not the wine do you know what I'm referring to yeah yeah
1: I mean in our uh, and usually the reason why uh, people would not take the wine in Anglican, Anglican setting would be because of some struggle with alcoholism or or something along those those lines. Uh, very traditionalist Roman Catholics uh, they don't take the wine at all. They only they only get uh, a communion in one kind, the, the bread. Um, and and we would we would agree. We both say both Roman Catholics and, and Anglicans and uh, I believe Lutherans would say that the Fullness of what's promised in in the in communion is a- available in both the bread and the wine. Um, the, the it's best to take both, I think, as Anglic- Anglicans would say, because Jesus consecrated both. Jesus set aside both as the elements for uh, for communion. But if there's a uh, if there's a a reason, a good reason why you can't, like again, alcoholism, uh, we would not want to say that God, that Jesus would not. Um, feed a person the fullness of his body and blood uh, through one kind, uh just because that person has some kind of an addiction problem or, or some some issue that would, would keep that person from taking communion. Um, so so yeah, the both elements are important. And it's optimal to take both, but if you if you can't for some reason you're not you're not getting half of half
0: of the I half of the deal. Is. <laughs> right, 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 Does it is that because just thinking theologically behind that, is that is that because when jesus uh blesses the bread and he blesses the wine he he says that the bread is his body and the wine is his blood and what is he referring to with both of those he's referring to the one act of his death right um the offering up of his body is also the offering up of his his blood the offering up of his blood is also the offering up of his body it's referring to his death there and so if you can only take if you decide that you know for for your own conviction's sake, just to take the bread, you know, theologically you are you're you're proclaiming his death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um I get. I guess yeah, that makes sense.
1: So there's there can be some confusion. The prayer of Humble access, which I love, um has that line where you know your body uh, by your bread by the uh, body will. I forgot. There's, there's a distinction between the, the, the wine with the wine. Wine is the cleansing from sin and the body of making a person whole. I wish I, 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 I launched into this without having the, the prayer in front of me. So it's, it's just totally keep, just keep
0: rattling it off. I'll, I'll find but, it.
1: Right. So but but there can be confusion. I, I read an article uh, where someone was confused saying, well, that's, you know, if I only take the the bread, I, I won't be having my sins forgiven because I'm not drinking them wine. And that's, that's just, no, it's, uh, both elements give you the fullness of, of, of the body and blood of Christ. Um, so you didn't, you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to bifurcate the benefit of of one as opposed to the other.
0: Right. The, the wording here in the prayer of humble access is that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his yeah. body and our souls washed there's most precious blood. So yeah, it does sort of, yeah, you kind of your body is cleaned and then your soul is cleaned. But, um, I would imagine that I
1: still have a dirty soul because I haven't taken the (laughs) wine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Although, but, but then, but the liturgy of course is not saying that, right? The liturgy is. No. Say it's talk. it's talking about the whole person. Body. It is talking about the whole person
1: and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a it uses kind of a a, a poetic a poetic way of speaking, right? It, 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 the 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 prayer doesn't intend to to make draw a definitive line between the two elements and say only bread gives you your body clean or makes your body clean and only bread.
0: Also, what one. does that even mean for your body uh, yeah. to be clean by the bread, right? No. right you know obviously it's not like taking a shower so
1: well, you know it goes back to it goes back to um uh john 6 and the um the, if you don't feed eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood um you have no life within you and it, it's it goes back to um the notion that that Jesus um uses a lot of different uh figures for himself in the in the in the new testament but um the, the, the one of the main ideas is that when you're bound to him and you when you have union with with Jesus, there he begins this inner act renovation, this inner work of re- renovation uh, of your soul and um, that will ultimately work its way outward so that your body will also be remade and and at the resurrection be completely <laughs> be completely new. And communion is one is one means by which that inner renovation and outward uh, renovation begins to take place. So
0: yeah. So we ended last week with First Corinthians uh 10 and verse 16, or the cup of blessing that we bless is not is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, the brother we break, is it a participation in the body of Christ, this fellowship that we now have in Christ's death. Um Every time we we bless the cup and and break the bread, there is a a sanctifying grace that's going on there. It seems like. Um, So I before we started recording, I uh, wanted to ask about this prayer that we have in in our in our prayer book about um, it. It's in uh, it's a. uh, A prayer called for for spiritual communion and um, I'll just I'll just read it. Okay. Well, I bring it up because um, during COVID, when a lot of people couldn't go to church, they um, this prayer was often uh, used. And it says uh, this, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are truly present in the Holy Sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to possess you within my soul. And since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, I beseech you to come spiritually into my heart. I unite myself to you together with all your faithful people and i embrace you with all the affections of my soul never permit me to be separated from you um i guess my my gut reaction to this is that um this is just you know if you can't partake um then you know here's a prayer to remind yourself that you are you are united to him but it is fascinating to me just in this conversation of the usefulness of the um the bread and the wine could someone say like someone who holds to a um more of a view that the bread and wo- or communion is just like a a symbol of of like faith um it's just or it's just remembering what christ did that they don't actually do any that nothing actually happens could it be argued that well then like why can't you just like pray that prayer? Like why? Why then, when you can take, why is it different than what you just prayed in that prayer? It seems like with that prayer, I, I just whenever I go, we were going through COVID. I was I was um thinking about that and it was just like, I, I mean, I guess it's what we pray every time we <laughs> take we're communion too. Um, but uh, what makes taking the bread and the wine um special i guess
1: well you will you notice that the prayer doesn't claim that through the prayer you're receiving his body and blood it 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 says it says it's a spare prayer for spiritual communion is the title of it i believe um it's in the prayer book and but it it doesn't nowhere in the prayer does it indicate that you're actually feeding on christ's body and blood um, it says, in fact, I believe that you are truly present in the Holy Sacrament. I love you above all things. I desire to possess you with, with my soul, and so I cannot now receive you sacramentally. Um, I just you to come into my heart. This is, this is asking for um, spiritual benefits and blessings from from the Lord, but I don't think that we would say this is as you know, sufficient as actually taking the elements of, of Communion. Um, We can trust that, of course, God is going to feed a person who Mm. can't get to the table and take care of who can't get to the table. But that is the that is the understanding of behind the prayers. You can't. It's not that you won't. It's not that you're saying, hey, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not, because it's all spiritual anyway. Um, It's it's saying the only reason I can't I'm not at the table right now is I can't be there because it's impossible for me to be there.
0: Mm. Um, Yeah, It's the exception to the rule.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah yeah that makes that makes sense um so let's talk uh, a moment about what it means to partake in a worthy manner because we taught we we brought that up in that last podcast um uh, about uh, receiving uh, the lord's Supper uh, in a worthy manner and um first corinthians 11, 27 through 28 says whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup um and uh it's fascinating because Paul says that uh many of the people in the Corinthian church have because they haven't done this have become weak and ill and some have died um which also tells us the importance of the the meal um that uh, there probably is something going on here if there if something if you if you can be physically killed by taking it wrongly then i would assume you can be physically blessed <laughs> by taking it, <laughs> it rightly um so what does it mean though to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. What's going on in the context here in First Corinthians?
1: I mean, I think it's very really important we you, you ask that question because the context does help us see what Paul at least is addressing in the in the Corinthian church, and uh, you see a lot of utter disregard for um, each other, uh, uh, not sharing of food, um, and and also blatant disregard for the holiness of God, um, getting drunk uh, at that at communion. <laughs> I guess my, my assumption is using communion wine to just get drunk. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and so what, what, all of that, all of that suggests a kind of flippancy and, and a kind of um, defiance even of, of God's law and God's uh, rule and God's holiness. Um, so, I mean, the, uh, I, I I think there's, I think there's a really problematic way of reading the, the question of worthiness that I think is common. Um, and, and the problematic way is to say, oh my goodness, I've, I've got this besetting sin that I'm dealing with. And I, I, I know that after church, I'll probably fall into it again, or, you know, tomorrow I'll fall into it again. And I, but I don't want to. I just know I will. I mean, I, well, I want to in the moment, but but I, I I I I hate myself for it. I hate doing it. I wish I didn't do it, but I can't take communion because I'll be, I be I know because I'm in the state of of being enslaved by the sin, so I shouldn't take it. And that's not what this means, because because if you're coming to communion for help with your besetting sin that's exactly why you need that help you need the the communion at that point becomes medicine for you and and strength for you so you need to come forward uh confessing your sin and asking jesus to help you and he and he will um the but if you're but if you're if you have but on the other hand if you have something that that a sin that you're engaged in um habitually but you're not it's not a it's not something that you're penitent over you have no you have no sense of guilt or uh you don't even, you're not even trying to stop you're kind of saying well whatever god i'm going to do what i want um then you're kind of coming in, in the same way to the table that these guys were getting drunk at communion you're just you're just kind of saying well uh i know what god says about this but i'm going to do what i want and uh, i'm still going to have the sacrament and get the benefits from it and and paul's saying no that's you're not going to get the benefits from it in fact you might get, you might get struck down. So, so be careful. Um, so it's really important, I think, to the, the, when when, we're, when you examine yourself before coming to communion. The question you want to ask yourself is: Am I? Am I? Do I? Am I asking God for help? Do I? Do I, am, I am I? Am I confessing this thing that I have in my life is, is something that I need?
0: I need His deliverance from or for? This is where it's really important to get your understanding of. Um, the relationship between God's grace and repentance down. Because, you know, uh, there's, you know, the the prevailing view, of course, of the world would be, well, you know, no one is barred from coming to Jesus. So why would you ever bar someone from taking communion? Um, And the, the problem there is this idea that um God will accept you no matter what um and I, I think it's like, well, that sounds good that sounds Christian, but like there's like a problem with that. It's, it's like, yes, God will accept you in Christ and that means you have to repent of your sin and and trust in him and then he will always, I mean he'll always, accept you in Christ Jesus, not in your, in your sin. So the only person that is barred from the table is the unrepentant sinner. It's the one who doesn't think that they're in sin, like you said. And it's not, I I, I like that. I I, like, and we, I mean, we've had people in, in, in our church too, who have struggled with that first, that first um, example that you gave of, Well, I'm really struggling with this and having a hard time, and so I I shouldn't. I shouldn't take, and um, it's it's like no, you know, it's a sin. You know, it's bad. You don't want to do it. Sure, you're probably going to do it (laughs) later today, but you don't want to. And yeah, exactly. You come and take take communion, and isn't this why we have the peace before communion too? Yeah, Yeah, I mean First Corinthians here.
1: The the peace is in particularly horizontal move now it then if you go back in 1662 there was no peace and I, I, I know so if you're listening to this and you're a shiite anglican i get that <laughs> um, but but i i i happen to think the peace is a good practice because because of this this question of worthiness for the sacrament i mean you you have to be at peace with god and your neighbor right so peace with god is you're coming with a penitent heart but then if you have some kind of grudge uh, against your neighbor or you're in some kind of conflict with your neighbor, then you need to either before you take communion, go to that person. If that person's in the congregation and say, Hey, let's talk. And maybe set up a time to do that, um, or commit to do that before you, um, before you come forward. And, um, and without the peace, there's no, there's (laughs) you, uh, there's, you don't have even, you don't have that reminder in the forefront of your mind. You need to be, um, Doing all that you can, anyway, to have peace with those, uh, with your brothers and sisters. Now, of course, there are are times when you're going to try to make peace and the other person won't make peace with you. And then that's fine. You've done everything you can. You can come to the table. But um, but so long as you, but yeah, peace is a very important element in in this coming to the Hibworth League.
0: Well, you brought up the 1662 and also in the 1662. in the confirmation service uh, it says that no one is to be admitted to communion until they, they are confirmed or show a desire to be confirmed um which means that um there's a debate in anglican circles on giving communion to children young children of believing parents um what uh matt is um what's the reasoning um for not giving communion to children and are we being bad Anglicans for doing that a good Shepherd? Uh, well
1: yeah in the church I grew up in my the Episcopal church where I grew up I wasn't I didn't take communion until I was confirmed. And uh, and I think that was a normative practice going all the way up into the 80s, I believe. Um pretty much. Well maybe maybe a little bit uh, in the
0: Episcopal church in, it,
1: earlier in Episcopal okay. church, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so the and the argument for that is well, first of all, it's in the prayer book, and the, and the 1662 is the standard. Uh, but then, but then, second, I mean, the assumption the assumption is that at confirmation, the the person is uh, taking adult ownership of his or her faith. Uh, he is he or she's given uh, all the teaching about what communion is, about the responsibilities for being a Christian. Um, and is making a public commitment to uh to follow Jesus in the in the in that particular congregation and so and so that that child uh, before he can't he won't at that at that point it's really that person's responsibility to come forward and that person has the ability to know whether or not he should or she should come forward and partake in a worthy in, in whether he's doing so in a worthy manner um so confirmation just acts like this kind of, uh rite of passage where where you have you're you're given all the tools necessary to make an adult decision about whether or not you partake. Um and it makes it makes sense. I mean it's a I it's a I I think it's a fine thing if people want to do that. I I I tend to disagree with the with the with that position. I am a communionist um, because I think it makes most sense of, of the, of our, of our argument for infant baptism. You know, you, uh, infant baptism, I believe is, is a, or baptism, I believe is the new Testament fulfillment of the old Testament, right. of circumcision and under the old covenant, once you're circumcised, you have full access to all the, all the feasts and, and rites and privileges, privileges of the covenant, um, you if you can swallow food, you can take part in the Passover meal. If you're circumcised, um, so so it, it kind of goes. The argument is a little bit like what you hear in the infant baptism argument, in that, well, are, is the New Testament narrower than the Old Testament? Is the is a new is the new covenant a uh, more strict than the old? I mean, it, it, does it keep people more people out than the old covenant does? And um, th- are we are we adding more? requirement? And I would say no. I mean, I would say that the child has, uh, can partake um, of communion as soon as he or she is able to swallow, and uh, under, and with the guidance of his or her parents, who we would hope, when we do teach them uh, to monitor how your child is taking communion. So we, 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 let we did we gave all of our children communion as as soon as they're baptized. um, We, we did that. And well, as soon as they're able to swallow after they're baptized, Mm -hmm. but, but there were, there were Sundays when, (laughs) when they were fighting, when they were being disobedient, when they were running all over the place, we said, all right, you know, your, your heart, I can tell you don't, um, you're being defiant right now to your parents and you're being, and you're being jerks to each other. So yeah, you're going to sit there. So now, and they, the kids hated that. They were, they were really, that impacted them when they couldn't take, when they, we didn't let them go to, go up. Um, it was, it wasn't, it was rare, but it, it happened uh, a number of times. Um, so, so what you're doing is you're teaching them what, how serious it is. Um, and, and if you do that, when they're young, they'll learn, themselves what kind of disposition they should have i think i don't think it's hard another question would, would, would about this is do you will kind of try to even know what's happening and i think that's really an overrated question i mean I, well no i mean do you know what's happening i mean <laughs> i mean i was going to ask have...
0: that actually because like what, to what extent is the pastor responsible for who partakes of communion because of course we know that Like, if someone is in unrepentant sin, then, like, we need to, we need to, that's, that's a church discipline tool that, that we have. Um, But let's just, you know, you have the, the person who comes on Easter and Christmas, you know, and they come up to receive the Lord's Supper. You don't know, you you don't know you just don't know if yeah. they are in un, in um uh defiant sin against against god in that moment um and so like how responsible are we in that moment to to give them uh like to give them communion like how like do we we can't know people's hearts but to what extent do we need to like make a decision no you shouldn't have one or you shouldn't you shouldn't take the bread and the wine
1: i think jc ryle is is right on this he says anglicans our liturgy is designed around a a charitable assumption that, that that people coming forward have confessed their sins um that they have made peace it's all in liturgy right this uh so i it would take a i i could never deny communion to somebody who i don't know who's been through the whole liturgy who sat there and listened to the sermon who's confessed their sins who's made peace yeah. with neighbor and then come presents himself to communion i'm not going to i'm not going to say well i don't know <laughs> because i don't know because i don't you know, know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> i have to just i have to just assume that that person's taking uh going through the liturgy in a serious and legitimate way um and if if that person's not, then the responsibility is not mine, it's it's his. Um, yeah, I was gonna heard. say
0: who and, is it that gets weak and ill and dies in First Corinthians? It's the people who partake um right. in it. It's not the it's not the minister who is right. handing it out. Um uh right. so
1: discipline is like when you know like if someone's in, in an openly, clearly defiant where he tells you, like, I, like you know, the example we used, I think last week was like, if someone's getting a divorce without cause, and and it's told you, I'm not going to stop. Well, then they can go through the liturgy all they want, but unless they come to the front after they after they come after they say the confession prayer, and make peace, if they come up to you and say, oh, and I decided not to get the divorce, fine. Then 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 will mm-hmm. I'll give you communion. But but if you've committed to me a, a, a defiant a course of defiance, then I, I can't get conscience harm you by giving you by giving you, um, communion, which, which might kill you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's out of love, man. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I was going to, you, you went there, so we don't really have to as much, but the, going back to the headship idea in, in baptism with the parents and the children, um, and how, until confirmation the parent does serve as that examining tool for the kid right um you have to know your your children and should they be partaking or not um and that is fascinating that with your kids they um uh it really affected them that they that they could have take uh that's pretty cool <laughs> well
1: it's it is interesting because you know you <laughs> the bread doesn't taste good. And, uh, <laughs> the, wine is, about? <laughs> and the wine, eat, you know, cause it's port and it's sweet. So the kids kind of liked that, but the, but the bread is the, <laughs> stale, the stale bread. And, and so, uh, it's some if, peer you
0: know, pressure. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're not able to go up while everybody else does. Right. I mean, that's, that's some healthy, healthy peer pressure, I think.
1: <laughs> well, we, you know, one thing we said to them early on, and we kept, we kept, we kept saying it until they got it. Uh, and I think they did get it early. I, I not that they didn't get it at first, but until they became more mature in their understanding of what it meant. But we always told them, "You're going to do Jesus's table. He's gonna He's gonna feed you and um, through this uh, with Himself." And I, I I think a little kid can get that just as much as an older mm-hmm. an older person can get that. Um, and and he the, the child doesn't need to know the ins and outs of what about the substance of the bread and the substance. Of, he doesn't know that. <laughs> Just you're going to Jesus's table. He's going to feed you with Himself, and and it's a way it's a way of drawing closer to Him and Him drawing closer to you. Um, you might
0: then- you might say that that is cultivating the childlike faith that Christ tells all of us to 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 have. Um, yeah, for for Sawyer, I mean, we uh, like every time it's about to uh, come up, um, uh, we talk about confession and, you know, what is Jesus, you know, when we, when we say we're sorry, when we confess our sins, what does Jesus always say? You know, he always says, I will always forgive you. So he always does. Um, and just try to get it in his head that that's what you're going up for. You, you're you going up and you're receiving that, that blessing, that, that forgiveness once again, that's in the sanctification of his grace. And or that his grace brings about, um, But yeah, it's like, you can't, like, I can't just fill him in on every little detail of the, of the supper. Um, But he gets it. I mean, he gets it. And um, it was, it was uh, much quicker with our daughter. I mean, she, we, I think it was, you know, you and Anne said that you guys did this with your kids. So we just decided to adopt that too. But anytime, like whenever the, whenever our kids reach out for it, that's when we, we give it to them. Sawyer didn't reach out till he was like two and a half, man. Evie reached out at like one. Wow, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> um, but uh, of course, um, of course she would, she, uh, she has to do what her brother does. So, um, but uh Okay. One last thing. Um, And um, I've, I've brought this up with you before and it's just, I I think it's something that um, for those listening who uh, aren't Anglican, um, but know a little bit about Anglicanism will know that um, sometimes we call it table. Sometimes we call it altar. Can you help us understand why like we call it both Um, like, Um, like, should we call it an altar? I mean, um is that is that confusing for people um like
1: yeah the if you if you if you tend toward uh low church reformed anglicanism there is in that circle and i'm i consider myself a reformed anglican but there is i i don't hold this view but most reformed anglicans do and there's a real there's a real aversion to using the word altar and and the reason is legitimate it's because you don't want to communicate that there's a a A sacrifice happening at the at the at the eucharist um as the roman catholics teach we're not we're not re-sacrified we're not uh the the sacrifice is once for all on the cross Mm -hmm. uh finished and completed um and and so and we're not mediating that um that's that sacrifice in the way that the roman catholic church teaches so so if you use the word altar uh, you, they, these people would argue, you're you're kind of smuggling a lot of Roman ideas about the Eucharist into into the service. Uh, then within the priest becomes not a presbyteros but a hieros, a, a priest like in the Old Testament, offering offering a, a an unbloody but still atoning sacrifice at the um, at the altar, and the, the priest stands in persona Christi. You you kind of, you could, you, all that baggage gets brought into into the Eucharist. Though these people argue, so they will only use the word table. Um, I differ. I differ with that because I don't think that. I mean, I I can see how that could be the result of using the word altar, and that would and that would be problematic. And and so in in my teaching, I want to make sure that people understand the difference between what a presbyter is and what a priest is. Um, and even though we use the word priest, uh, we want them to understand that means presbyter in our, in our context, not old Testament to style priest, um, sacerdotal priest. Um, the, the, um, but in the new Testament, the, the temple in heaven, there's an altar there, right? The, the saints are under the altar crying out to God for vengeance, for the, uh, and praying for the. The Earth, the the Church on Earth, the Mil- Church Militant, um, the the Heavenly Temple, still, and this is, <laughs> you know, this is Revelation five. This is uh, the Heavenly Temple has, or at least is depicted as having, um, as having an altar. And I think the Church on Earth, the worship of the Church on Earth, is uh, an earthly reflection of the worship in heaven. So, I don't see any problem with. Calling the altar an altar, uh, so long as we're not claiming that it, we're making an atoning sacrifice on it, um, which we're not. We're just saying this is a reflection of the heavenly worship, and 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 all the elements we have in heaven are here on earth.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because it's a it's a different perspective of what we're doing there or maybe an added element of what we're doing there that I even to this day have a hard time with and not that I disagree I don't disagree with the theology of it like in our liturgy we talk about um offering up a sacrifice of thanksgiving and and praise and um and uh, obviously that is what we're doing but I do sometimes uh I get conflicted sometimes when we say it just because in my, in my understanding of the supper, like the primary focus is a supper being, being administered to me, right. Being given to me, being uh, like Christ is offering himself um, to me through bread and wine. And so sometimes I just want, I just, I love our liturgy, right? I I love it. But, um, I, it's just an added element of like, well, we're also offering up sacrifice and praise when, whenever, whenever I, you know, read the new Testament and we're talking about the Lord's supper, the primary focus is, is Christ offering himself in just that, in a supper. And so table just makes more sense to me and be like, this is in this moment, what we're, what we're doing is receiving from Christ and receiving this supper it's is that um like how far back does that idea go that um in this moment we're also offering up a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving um like of course i understand we do that right but it almost feels like in this in the liturgy or it seems like in the liturgy that's a pretty prevalent theme um it's a it's it's very prevalent and at times i wonder if it's you know forgive me is it too prevalent i don't know <laughs> um is it does it could it take away from the the primary theme of receiving um i don't know i just thinking out loud here
1: yeah two two things first of all i would I, I, you should pay attention to that language in the, in the Eucharist prayer that talks about our offering of ourselves and in praise and thanksgiving to him. Um, so that there is a, there's a, in the old covenant sacrifices, there were the sin offerings, burn offerings and guilt offerings that were all atoning, right? They're all mm-hmm. uh, taking away, that remove sin, cleanse sin, made up for sin. And, um, but then there, was the, then there, then there. After those were offered, there were the Thanksgiving offerings, the offering, the the offerings of that you gave so that you could have a uh, peace and, and a meal with God. Even and there, was, uh, the Thanksgiving offering was 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 that you were having a meal with God. But it was still an offering, right? You have both those things coming together, um, uh, a sacrifice of food. Um, and yet, also not, not atonement an offer an offering of food and praise and thanksgiving, and then you, you eat with the Lord in the in, in the tabernacle. So those things are coming together again in the new in the new covenant um, in the new covenant liturgy. Second thing I'd say is even though we're not offering an atoning sacrifice at the table, um, what we are we are remembering uh, the death, the, the the sacrifice of Jesus, and so the language of the cross. Um, and his and his and his suffering well it's it's fitting for that to be depicted on an altar right because the cross is an altar isn't it i mean he's so we're not saying we're not not re-sacrificing jesus but but the altar the cross was his altar and so it's helpful to remember that he did give that that sacrifice um and uh that was atoning for all time in all places uh and and the depiction of it um at the table uh makes it i think fitting to also call it mm. um call it an altar So
0: yeah no that makes sense yeah that's all great um all right well i think we hit quite a bit is there anything else did, did we miss anything did we just did we just deal well, with I'm communion like... exhaustively and people just <laughs> need to listen to these two podcasts and I can't,
1: you know? <laughs> I can't remember if we did Did what last, did we talk? We shouldn't do it now because it's too late, but sure. Last, last time did we talk about Hans Boersma and the, and the question of, you know, when Roman Catholics go back into the fathers and see language, that's very visceral about eating Jesus's flesh and blood. They argue that that's an argument for, they are, argue that those are elements of transubstantiation hmm. um, in the patristic era. And, um, Hans Borisma has been who's a teacher, he's a professor at the House. He's gone back and and worked through the patristics to show that their their thinking on this was was more Platonic than Aristotelian, and, and so um, uh, transubstantiation is really a, a a development of Aristotelian thought filtered through Aquinas, um, but the fathers were thinking that way. They were thinking in Platonist terms and in Platonist terms, what they thought they were doing at communion is a lot more like what we think we're doing at communion as Anglicans. But uh, I just opened a big, huge can of discussion, which. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
0: We didn't go to that, but you know what, Matt, you know what? You could yeah. write an article on it. You could write an article <laughs> on it, and then we'll put <laughs> it up on the Kramer fellows, Kramer fellowship.com. <laughs> that's it. That it sounds interesting. That would be a, that would be a good conversation, but no, we did not. You did, you did talk about transubstantiation but i don't think you went there so um well you whetted everybody's appetites now for that so um they'll uh they'll be expecting it so in some way shape or form but um, all right very good well we'll 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 end it there then uh, for today and this week. And uh thank you to everybody who uh is listening to this this episode and to the podcast um in general. Thank you for subscribing and uh tell your friends and family and especially if you know uh someone who is um, interested in uh ministry and in learning more about um about training for ministry, uh send them this podcast and see what they think. So all right with that we will say goodbye and we we'll see you next week.